Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Benno. I'm lucky enough today to be joined by former Hawthorne player Alex Woodward. Alex, how are you going, mate? Yeah, good, bud. Thanks for having me. No, nah, it's a good, man. It's been a long time coming. I think our first, our first email correspondence was midway through last year. But it's good to, to finally get you over the line. Um, I'd like to start these as often as I can with a, a how we, we've come across each other. And we were lucky enough to train under the tutelage of Sam and Carl at F45 Clayton South. Um, great people down there, so we'll give them a cheeky plug. But that's how you and me, our paths crossed, mate. Been a long time since we've been in, in the studio, though. But how's the body holding up and how are you going? Yeah, mate. Um, like you said, nice to give a little shout out to Carl and Sam. Um, they're running a great studio there at Clayton South. Um, body's going really well. I'm, I'm sort of getting back into running now. I had COVID over Christmas, so I'm trying to, trying to build the lung capacity again. And um, but yeah, I'm feeling good and I'm feeling fit. That's like COVID over Christmas. I think every man and their dog did. I've somehow, I don't know how I've avoided it. I've been everywhere that it's been. It somehow it hasn't touched me. Oh, so and I'm like, the, the the way that they change quarantine periods or isolation periods. I was, I was six days in. Um, still hadn't got my test results, but I was pretty crook, so I was 100% certain that I had COVID. Um, and I was assuming I was a 10-day isolation. Got my result back on the sixth day. On the seventh day, was told that I was able to leave, but I was still crook <laughs> and still showing positive results on the rapid test. So um, I think it's yeah, just rolling with the punches a little bit with those um, yeah, processes when it comes to isolation. Oh, I'd made to... Um like definitely had it and didn't get their results back in between their seven days oh. so they just did their seven days and <laughs> came out and they got the old your test has been invalid it was okay cool yeah. well, I think that's that's the way of the world now and I think hopefully yeah. we can get back to some normality Vol- voluntary year. isolation for a lot of us yeah. isn't it <laughs> um, we'll get stuck into everything mate from your time at the Hawks the Pies all the knees as I'm sure people are well aware but we'll just start with Getting drafted, mate. Obviously, you got drafted into an incredibly strong team, an incredibly strong football club. I mean, what was the feeling like going to that Hawthorne side? Was it a feeling of what a place to learn, or was it a bit like, fuck, how am I, how am I cracking into this side? I mean, what was the feelings like when you get when your name gets called out? Um, I suppose, mate. Like, good question to kick off um, the podcast. So, I suppose I was always um, a little bit. Um, behind the eight ball when it came to being picked first and all that sort of stuff in juniors and I was always I suppose had a chip on my shoulder um, when it came to um, squads and selection and that sort of stuff so you know being drafted to Hawthorne at 53 was an absolute privilege um, and I was aware of their rich history and um, I also got drafted with one of my really close mates in Jordan Kelly um, which made that transition into a new footy club particularly an AFL club um, really seamless um, but my attitude really didn't change too much in terms of, all right, well, I just want to make a really good impression when I get there. Whether I play games or not, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a student of the game anyway, so I, I want to really pick the brains of the likes of Sam Mitchell, Luke Hodge, and you know Brad Sewell, Sean Burgoyne, these these types that are going to be all-time greats when it comes um, you know, to the Football Hall of Fame and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I didn't really uh, change the, the goalpost too much when it came to my focus in... First day dot, when I got to the club, um, I was really wanting to just learn, but also make a really good impression from day one. How, I mean, people talk about Clarko, the figure that he is. I mean, you're, you're 18, you're walking in the door. He, he's a scary man. As someone who stood next to him at a press conference, I mean, he's about half my height, but he's still, man, he's shitless. I mean, what, what's that like? You walk in and, 
and there's the, you know this figure that oh, really is no nonsense and pretty strong. I mean, what what was that like? Was he was it intimidating? Was it was he you know just big, warm and cuddly and behind closed doors? What was that like? Yeah, oh, mate, Clarko is um, you know still one of the absolute best coaches I've ever had in my career, and that goes without saying. Obviously, um, his resume when it comes to his accolades as a coach um, is really hard to beat. So. Uh, he's just a really proud, passionate person when it comes to footy and team success um, and trying to get the most out of individuals and a, and, and a team within a season. Um, and I, I think he's really innovative as well when it comes to you know, trying to be a step ahead of the game and try, trying to create things and, and um, you know, develop game plans that you know, other teams might not be thinking of at the time. But um, my opinion of him is um, nothing... Not, not a bad word I could honestly say about him. I, I really loved that um, he was really proud and passionate about the footy club and, and, and the sport in general. So, um, yes, intimidating, but that's, you know, that's Clarko, I think. Um, you know, you, you don't want to get him angry, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think nothing safe to, to say that. Um, so, obviously, mate, I think it was a four knee recos over the time. I mean... That's more than enough for anyone. It's it's not as quite as many as my last guest, Alex Johnson, who is very much I think just about holding the world record. Yeah. I think he was on about seven seven um, goes under the knife. But with yours, I mean, the first couple were quite early. It was twenty twelve and twenty thirteen. Yeah. I mean, what, what when the first one goes down, you're young, you're fit. Do you just kind of think, all right, yeah, but it's a year, I'll be right? Because I remember Alex Johnson saying that. First one went down, he thought, cool, I'll get myself back and, and everything will be right. And obviously the his story panned out the way it did. When yours first up, was you just think, ah, all right, it's a year, but we'll be right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's uh, Alex Johnson's really good mad mind, so it's, it's pleasing that he's, he's um, jumped on this podcast as well. Um, I ended up having five recos over my career, AFL, VFL, which is still wild to me because I'm, I'm 28, <laughs> but I feel, I feel ancient, trust me. Um, but yeah, first two Ricos back to back. So oh, in both instances, I had really good pre-seasons. Again, we spoke about it on the impression piece. Um, and I was really happy that I was able to sort of prove my worth a little bit to the, to the playing group uh, more so and the coaches as well that I was just a really hard worker when it came to, you know, priding myself on, on trying to get that footy for, for the team. Um, I knew my role as an inside midfielder. Um, but you're right. So but when, when you go down with your first one, Obviously devastating. You don't really know what's happening. I've never torn an ACL up to that point, um, 18. Um, but I think I was just full of optimism, so to speak. Um, you know, 10, 12 months out, you don't, it doesn't really hit you until you're probably six months in and you're sort of treading water for a while and you're doing the same rehab um, programs and you're just sort of building up strength in your legs or in one leg particularly. Um, but to go down again, basically 10 months later after another really good pre-season, um, for me that second one was a learning experience and what I mean by that is look I wasn't that player once upon a time where I didn't have an ACL uh, reconstruction you know I can't really get away with some manoeuvres but also what am I doing trying to you know spin and land on the same leg to avoid a tackle 10 months after a reco so it's just like optimism gets you so far and you think you're um, formidable and, and you know you, you can go through anything but um those, those first two seasons, optimism and a really good learning experience, but then you start to prioritise things and, and, and want to do stuff outside of football as well so that you know when you go through a rehab, you're fairly fresh and, and ready to go. 
And was that was that the key, kind of dis- almost distracting yourself from the day to day rehab? We, I mean, we hear countless times, and we've had a few guys come on here and talk about the loneliness of the rehab room. Is I mean, how important? What did you turn to, maybe outside of footy, that you know just kept the mind fresh? Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I said, mate, the, the, the first two optimism is, is really the fuel for me. Well, it was the fuel. So I was happy to rock up each day and you know do eight hours of rehab. And I was 18, 19, I was just you know really eager to, and keen to be a student of the game and you know show show my face and, and um, prove that I'm, I'm working really hard. But you know after that second one, it's just like well okay, I'm going to have to do another 12 months of this. Um, I, I want to sort of minimise the amount of hours that I do spend at the club, but still have genuine quality with the way that I approach rehab. Um, and, and still prove that I'm working really hard out on the track and, and in the gym. So, you know, I reduced that eight, eight hours that I'd spend each day at the club to maybe a quality three or four. And then I, as soon as I leave the club, uh, I made a conscious effort to, to do something that was completely different um, to football in a sense that, you know, I'd probably go home, spend time with my family and say, let's not talk about footy. Um, How was your day type stuff? Or I'd go to uni. Um, and that was completely different, obviously studying and having a contingency plan outside of footy, um, even just seeing my friends or doing a little bit of work experience. So yes, distractions were really important for me. And um, I think variety in my rehab program was really important as well. Was it harder to find those distractions being essentially a player that hadn't played a game of AFL football? You see, I think Sam Doherty, when he did his first, essentially coked on the bench for Carlton and then did all these courses overseas. Is it a bit harder when when you're in the system for a year or two and you obviously don't have the sway of a soon to be co-captain of the football club? Is it harder to find those things? Are you probably a little bit more like, well, I can only do so much at the club. I'm going to have to find... I mean, I'm going to have to put all my energy in a, a lot of outside activity. Yeah, yeah. It's um, Obviously, I was still very much an unknown as a player and maybe as a person to, to a, a lot of the people from outside of the footy club. Um, within the footy club, they, they sort of knew that I was a pretty hard worker and you know, um, happy-go-lucky guy, so to speak. I was pretty positive, um, I like to think, when I was there. Um, but yeah, it was really important for me to get away from the club and um, just touched on uh, just touching on what you're saying. But I think it was important for me to be proactive as well, get so get outside of my comfort zone, introduce myself to people that you know potentially could lead me down a path that um, a la uni or work experience or you know just meeting the right people that um, could help me develop as a person outside the footy club. So I think it was really important for me not to like the first two years or, or the first year in particular where I'm spending a lot of time at the club um, it was really important for me to develop outside the footy club as well and, and learn new skills and um, yep absolutely still wanted to have an AFL career and, and make the most of it I, I was still really um, excited about the prospect of, of putting on the boots um, but having a contingency plan or plan B so to speak is, is not a bad thing as well um, footy doesn't last forever that's yeah for sure. 100% I think the average, average time on the list is like 3-4 years so. yeah when I was playing I think it was about Three, three to four. I think it's five to six now. Um, but yeah, it's not not many years at all. No, it's sure. very few make it to the two hundred game, yeah. ten year barrier. Um, did any point you start to feel like you weren't going to get your chance? Did you? You obviously would have had dark days and good days. But did you ever just start to, like after maybe the second one, start to think, mate, I might, I might not play a game. Like, this might just be me. My story might be the guy that did two ACLs at that time and and didn't get a chance. And what what did that kind of was that? a sinking feeling was it a fuck this what, what, what would that yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest mate no as long as I sort of secured a contract in any way means primary list or rookie list 
Um, I sort of had the mindset that I was every chance. So um, oh, I straight off the bat had two years. So I know that I'm still going to be there for two years. And then Hawthorne, to their credit, you know, committed to me for another year pretty early on after my second after my second knee. Um, so yeah, never really had the the feelings of giving up. I, I just wanted to make sure that I surrounded myself with really good people and support. Um, that way, you know, I, I could still really um, promote the, the positivity out of me and, and it would show in my rehab and um, come game day, I, I'd really focus on just trying to enjoy footy again. I think um, if I was put at added pressure, like, like that sort of stuff, and, you know, this game might be my last, I'm, I'm coming back from two knee records, you know what I mean? I think yeah. it's pretty important for me to, to keep it simple and, and simple in a way that, um, I just wanted to have fun. I think that's the whole point of you know picking up a footy in the first place when you're a junior. Have fun with your mates. In this case, have fun getting back after two Ricos was pretty important to me. Um, 2014, probably a, a highlight year for yourself. I mean, you, you ripped the VFL apart. That's an absolute piss take. Um, you make you make your AFL debut as well. I mean, what when 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 you're putting that VFL form together and you get rewarded? Does it is there? A, for one, a sense of accomplishment. Is there a sense of like, oh, here we go. This is, this is the start of who knows what. But I mean, that year was a just. I mean, for one, how, how did you feel getting to, going through the year? But then when you finally crack into the the talk side, I mean, what was the thought process there? Yeah, it's um, twenty fourteen is probably still yeah, probably my favourite year of footy. That and uh, maybe a bit of twenty fifteen as well. A bit of consistency was was key for me. Um, like I said just before, having fun. Um, was really important. I remember the practice games that I was playing. I was just, you know, as a midfielder, you want to get the footy. You know, that's a pretty simple focus for me. So I tried to get as much of the footy as I could. Still learning experience. I was getting in, in shit places at times and, and not using the footy as well as I would have liked. But, you know, to get my hands on the footy after, you know, so long out of the game, um, that was fun to me. So my transition from practice games into, you know, VFL games, I... It was still a step up. Each one is a step up. Intra club, you know, practice games, VFL, we're, we're yeah, proper oppo, hunting you. You know what I mean? Um, and for me to, I suppose, adjust to the to the pressure and, and the speed of the game, it took me you know, a couple of weeks, and then I get better after a couple of weeks, and, and it was sort of like a building building block, so to speak. And um, I was really happy with the consistency. I always actively sought, um, sought feedback on, on how I could be better. Um, I like to think that the coaches would. Um, back me with that I was sort of on the front foot a lot of the time which is just my personality in a way but um, yeah overall the the main thing of that season was probably consistency I didn't really play too many games I was emergency a lot which is a great experience as well travelling emergency or um, meaning I was, I was pretty close to debuting a lot of the time and you know to travel to SA and then catch a red eye home or something and then play VFL the next day they, they were adversities and challenges in themselves and I had some Pretty shit games after that, but you know the next week if I had to do that again or, or two weeks after, I got better. Um, but yeah, I always had the mindset of all right. Well, if I'm if I'm not playing this week, hopefully next week. And what do I need to get better? What do I need to do to get better um, so that I can keep knocking the door? Um, eventually, obviously got that debut, and um, the feeling of that was um, what a reward for effort, not just for me but my support team and, yeah. and my family as well. Like. They see a the lot of the unseen, um, and I, I thought it was pretty important to recognise them throughout the journey. It's very like they see the unseen. What were, what was we asked? I remember asking Alex like what his what his rock bottom was at the time, and he spoke about how he essentially Sydney had told him that the dream was over, 
before giving me rookie this spot. For you, what was what was the hardest part? I mean, how, how dark did those rehab days get? And what was you know some of the harder times that you faced? Yeah, over yeah. the whole journey. Absolutely. Um, it was. Yeah, I think you, you said before being really lonely and look a lot of the time I'm, I'm spending significant amount of weeks by myself in, in a gym or, or you know 6.30 out on the field before the boys train running laps and doing pretty tough sessions um, but I was still motivated um, but the I think the key to me was just accepting the negative moments or, or the, the down parts I think that's it's healthy to, to acknowledge that um, face it and if it's not your day I think I had a couple of rehab sessions where I basically went up to my now good mate Phil who was my rehab facilitator basically went up to him and said look today's not the day I'm halfway through a rehab session I'm feeling fucking shit ass um, mentally more so than physically um, how about we do this tomorrow because I'm going to go home spend time with my family or, or go to uni um, refresh the mind because at the moment I'm a bit frustrated that I'm eight months in and I can't train you know I feel like I'm ready to go um, but I know that that's not the right thing. So I'll, I'll come back tomorrow um, and then we can go again. And I think that that's really important. That's probably some advice that I'd give to anyone that's spending significant time in, in your long-term injury list. Um, but also found ways to you know, just perk myself back up if I am feeling down and um, little things like, there's always like a um, an injury list uh, revealed at the start of the week and it was like, okay, well, so-and-so's two weeks away and so-and-so's four weeks away and you know, my name was always indefinite so I just crossed that out and be like yeah 10 weeks <laughs> just so I could you know get myself back up and say look there's a bit of a time on there it's not indefinite it's about 10 weeks even though the season might be over um, but yeah like, like little things like that would, would cheer me up again but um, yeah definitely some tough times and more the loneliness but then when other people would come into rehab you know or I'd want to be the, the energy because they're, they're going to be feeling pretty shit ass about being in, in rehab as well, whether it's one week, two weeks or 10 weeks. Um, I wanted to, you know, bring the energy up, but also wanted to set a standard. So I remember a couple of times I spoke to Phil and if someone was going to be in rehab for, for a pretty good stint, if they're going to run with me, you know, I've been running for six months. So yeah. best I've ever run. I was never a runner um, by any means, um, but I stripped a lot of weight and I became really good at running and um, you know, I'd, I'd tell Phil, all right, let's try and make this guy spew today. I, I reckon, <laughs> reckon that'll be fun. So little, little things like that would, would get me up. And, um, but yeah, just acknowledging the down, down moments was, was pretty healthy as well. Who struggled the most with KVR? Yeah, did, did, you push, did, you, did you break anyone's no, mate, no, no names. No names. <laughs> but um, there was a couple of times where I just broke myself. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think uh, there's, a, there's a way that you approach each session. And there was a couple of times where I went hard too early. And I was over the fence spewing. And I was just like, oh no, there's, there's another four sets of this. <laughs> um, you spoke about like ducking off from the club and heading home and finding a way to boost yourself. Like, what, what were some of the things you'd do to maybe just turn that day around? Because I guess it could so easily, you know, you leave the footy club feeling shit, go home, feel shit. Yeah. You know, what were some of the things you maybe you did to re-engage yourself? Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, you're right. Because I suppose walking out of walking out of a rehab session or, or after a tough day, even going to uni is a bit of a, a drain or, or work experience is a bit of a drain or family, no offence, but um, if they're going to ask about footy straight away, it's probably the last thing that I want to speak about. Um, so even little things like golf, tennis, you know, other sports where you can still have competitive drive but have a heap of fun. Well, I'm, I'm a shocking golf player, but I used to play tennis. So I, I, I'd find... 
enjoyment out of other sports, or even watching other sports. Like I'm a huge basketball fan. Um, and then later on, um, I took a really good advice from Phil and my um, Luke and um, some of the other medical staff and rehab um, support staff. Um, you know, in terms of putting rehab into blocks. So if I had a really good eight-week block, right, right at the start, to a point where I'm, you know, getting introduced into running. I'm going to go on a holiday for two weeks. That way I'm completely away. Um, and then when I get back, can't wait to get stuck into to rehab. Um, I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm mentally fresh, physically fresh. Obviously, it's another building block. And then we go again for, for 10 weeks or something, or, or 12 weeks, and might have a weekend away. You know what I mean? So there's always a little carrot there towards, obviously, the, the second end of the second reco. Sorry, um, during the second reco, especially the third reco, I was like, yep, I need to... Um, segregate these blocks of my rehab program that way I know that there's going to be a carrot there carrot there and by the, you know that third carrot's probably training you know what I mean so um, there, there was different ways to I suppose turn my mood around um, whenever I was yeah, in, a, in a bit of a rough patch no I think I think you need that I think it's a testament to the attitude to be able to turn things because I think I mean it happens with everyone that things can slide when you're in a bad mood, so it shows shows the strength of character that you Just obviously north, had. Yeah. Um, when you when you make your debut and, and you, you played two games in that year, 2014, did did you feel like leaving and say, and it probably when you left the system, well, but did you feel like yeah, I was up to it? Like two games, not a big sample size, but do you walk away thinking? I mean, you don't win a JJ list without being, I think, up to the standard. But do you then, having played your, your couple of games, did you walk away thinking, you know what, I can, I can do, I could I could do this? Yeah, it was. Um, I suppose it was always a, for me a what if. Um, what if I was given a, you know, another another couple of games, which ideally would have been fantastic, having a month of footy at at that level. Reality was I played half game as a sub because of sub rules back then. So that's a bit of a a tough introduction into that level, you know, yeah. picking up the speed and all that sort of stuff. And then the next week I was just um, probably not utilising my strengths as well. I was. Um, a lot of wasted energy but 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 improved similar to um what i mentioned before about you know practice games into um vfl into you know consistency each each step getting better and better probably didn't have enough time um in those afl games to to build um and that's probably something that i would have liked and that's why i thought you know uh, first half of 2015 after Obviously, a, a successful and consistent 2014, and I was I was really excited to to see if I could build again. Um, didn't start off great. Didn't have a great um, preseason game um, right off the bat. And I think that was a bit of a wake up call for me, um, which was good. So then, obviously, I had chats with coaches and, and Clarko in particular, and um, trying to be more impactful as a player. So I played a bit of forward and you know in, in that way I was, I was developing as a player so whenever I got picked or if I got picked um, it wasn't just going to be solely as a inside mid I can offer you something up there unfortunately I went down with another knee but um, that was probably the, the journey path that I was was looking at and excited about so you, you yeah you went into the side you come out you said like a couple a month might have been good is that kind of the caveat of playing? It's like a good team. And you came in towards the end of the year as well, I think. So yeah, yes, you, you kind of come into a point where finals and big finals are on the horizon and it's time to start kind of nailing. Absolutely. Is that kind of where, yeah. not that you, you probably changed being in Hawthorne, but is that probably one of the moments where you're like, 
yeah. at 17 other clubs at that time you might you might get a month yeah you're, you're 100% right 100% right so I completely understood um, the decision not to play me more games because basically around 18 or something yeah. the finals around the corner so you need to solidify your team because they need consistency and chemistry going into finals they want to play their you know almost their best footy leading into finals um, but I also understood the fact that um, you know I, I never had the mindset of what if I went to a team that was rebuilding or anything because I, I always thought I'd never have such a great apprenticeship that I had regardless right even though I was two years out my first two years I still got to pick the brain of you know Brownlow Millis Sam Mitchell um, multiple Norm Smith medalists Luke Hodge you know Brad Sewell Jordan Lewis all Australian Sean Burgoyne greatest ever Indigenous player in my opinion um, you know these likes and, and also um, numerous others in, in other lines you know other positions um, Hawthorne was stacked to yeah. say the least at, at that time so um, definitely take the apprenticeship over 50-60 games was there ever any interest elsewhere obviously a bit difficult with nays but was there ever yeah. a couple of calls or management just saying hey I suppose they yeah there was a couple of where they'd asked the question but there was always a a cloud over my um, ability to hold up you know I, I broke down my first couple of years and then broke down basically a year and a half later so questions yes because I hopefully they saw um in, in the games that I did play at VFL level, I'd like to think they were quality over quantity. Um, but I think it's pretty important to get a couple of seasons out um, rather than just play a few games and break down again. So I completely understood their thinking as well. Um, we'll jump off footy for a moment. I was watching, doing a bit of research. I remember watching a while ago, but you are open mic yeah. a while ago. And you mentioned that um, you were on Burke Street the day of the unfortunate attacks there. Now... I mean, I can't imagine what that would have been like. And I'm sure people listening, who were, if they weren't there, wouldn't be able to imagine. But can you take us into maybe just what, what you saw and kind of what you felt on that day? Obviously, a day that shaped the city we're in pretty much forever. But, yeah, just take us into, you know, kind of what you saw and what happened. Obviously, life throws all these different types of adversities at you. And I'm, every day I count my lucky stars that I wasn't on the other side of the footpath, so to speak. So it was, look, it was a devastating day in, in so many ways. And I, I think about those victims quite frequently and that's something that I've, I've learned to deal with and you know it took me a little bit of time and you know it's quite traumatic and um, can't ever really get out of my head so what, what, what happened was basically I was on my lunch break after working at a firm in the city um, transitioning from football or the AFL system was, was pretty seamless to me like I said introduced myself to the right people network etc etc so I um, was working in the city um, went on my lunch break and was walking down Burke Street um, earphones in um, then it was quite eerie because everyone sort of just stopped and you could just hear thuds um, even with my earphones and listening to music I could, could hear and then you sort of look around it's like oh, sirens going off and everything's everything's happening and then you look across um, the footpath and you know there's a, there's a car on the footpath going up whilst I'm going down on the opposite side um, and he's going up and he's the thuds were actual bodies like coming off the bonnet I just couldn't believe that. And I was, so I ran across and um, helped where I could. I'm no medic or anything. Um, but yeah, just anyone that got hit, I was sort of helping, as was everyone else, um, best they can. But um, what can you do in those sort of circumstances? You sort of wait for the ambos and, and all that to come. So yeah, traumatic. And um, after that, went to the police station, gave my test, um, gave my uh, recollect, recollection of events. And um, yeah. 
from from there on was yeah, like you said changed our city forever so yeah 100 percent. i think you i mean you look at Perth right now and obviously the city's thriving to its greatest extent now covid's done a number yeah. on it but yeah i think like anytime you hear a siren down swanson or that burke yeah. you're kind of like oh um you said like it obviously had an effect on you and, and that's 100% fair enough. I think it had an effect on people that even weren't there. But I mean, what what did you kind of have to put into practice to... Because obviously you have to go back to work at some point. You, you, that's where you are. So there's no avoiding the scene or kind of checking out from it. I mean, how... Did you go back, did you go back to work the next day? Uh, yeah, so it was my lunch break. So I took the rest of the day off because I had to go to the police station and that, that took hours. And um, Yeah, it was... Look, to be honest, I didn't know how to how to handle it. Um, I confronted it and probably confronted it too much, like reading articles and all this stuff. Like, is this guy going to go to jail? Or what's what's going on? Come a little bit obsessed, or I did anyway. Um, read about the victims, and it's really sad and traumatizing. And it's just like, oh, I really hope this guy gets gets what he deserves, and I hope, hope families are okay, and all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, oh. um, so I just had to remove remove myself from the incident weeks months down the track um just so i could start healing properly as well even though i was lucky enough not to you know be on that side um it's a fair it's a fair event to witness firsthand like i was probably 25 minutes away yeah. it's just yeah pretty full on oh yeah i can only imagine i was um i was over in the uk sort of 2018 or 2017 end of 2017 and at that time obviously london had had a fair few issues and yeah. Um, I remember it was Black Friday sales on Oxford Street and I was just on my way to Oxford Street and people were kind of running past crying and yeah. it's kind of like what's going on here and got out and it, the whole of Oxford Street was shut down and people were running the stores yeah. and it turned out I was very lucky it turned out to just be a false alarm and they'd, yeah, yeah. in the underground they'd heard something that sounded like gunshots yeah. but it was the immediate but I remember thinking, at the time I was kind of like oh it's alright and then I was getting a two hour train ride back to Manchester I remember that two hours and yeah. like oh that that felt shit like yeah. I feel shit Absolutely. and it's like nothing and I was lucky that nothing actually happened Absolutely. but it was the idea that this thing that you think happens elsewhere and not to you and I was like oh, for a minute there yeah, brain, I, th- like, I mean I had my back up against the wall yeah. so I knew I had yeah. but I don't think like this is males helicopters up above and yeah it's a bit, I think it's a bit crazy so I can only imagine Mate, those sort of events I reckon like you touched on you'll always remember where you were timing everything what exactly what you were doing it's almost like life phrases for a moment and you remember every detail yeah I think I couldn't tell you anything about Oxford Street but I know exactly I was on the Disney store yeah wall and I could, yeah and you can remember it clearly as um, but no, thanks for sharing because yeah, you know, I think right. it's obviously a, an incredible story not for the, the reasons we want yeah. but um, hopefully it can help anyone that you know is having a similar sure. a similar um, experience. Um, we'll jump back to footy. You, you went to headed to Collingwood VFL, played some, put some good footy together there. But you're also the runner for the Pies in a pretty successful period. And there's a few takeaways for that. And we'll touch on the grand final yeah. at some point. But Bucks is someone I wanted to ask you about. I mean, we asked, you worked with Clarko and Bucks. I mean, any time I've had anything to do with Bucks, from a media standpoint, he's been unbelievable. Yeah. I think he's a great man. He's always... Um, you know, ask how you are and how things are going. Like, oh, Danny, do you remember who I am? But always asked, always made the effort. I mean, working under him, how did, how did you find working under so, a really a pretty criticised figure, which I think perhaps unfairly, but yeah. how did you find working with Bucks? I was pretty fortunate, like you said, mate. My, my experience in AFL, VFL system uh, amongst other coaches, but you know, Clark Owen Bucks, two really, really good people. Um, Bucks was a great man. Couldn't 
say a bad word about him, even if I tried. I think um, we built a really good relationship, and, and part of, part of that was because I was the runner and you know taking messages from him. But um, his ability to to form connections with with the playing group and staff um, is second to none. So um, he was a great man, and um, look, Collingwood got got a rich history just like Hawthorne. But like you said. Um, sometimes unfairly scrutinised there's a lot of pressure yeah. on Bucks and I thought he handled that really well throughout his you know, tenure there so um, yeah 2018 when, when I was running for him um, we built a really good connection and um, yeah, whenever if I'd ever see him on the street I'm sure that we'd have a, a really good yarn about all, all our journeys and experiences as well how, how hard's being a runner? I think it's it's something we, we hear literally nothing of. I think I did it once for the under-19s once when I was younger and it cooked me. Yeah. And I did it for half. How, how hard is it? I've said you, but it's... Like, there's a lot of moving parts and you like, you got to know where you can be, where you yeah. can't be. you got to remember three, four messages. How, how hard is it just as a job? Oh, mate, it was... Um it's it's multitasking to the nth degree really like you're, you're running <laughs> that's one one form you've got to remember messages rotations um, where you are on the ground all, all this sort of stuff so um you're right it's not easy um, but i absolutely loved it i thought it was well at, at the time when i went to collingwood vfl into 2017 after obviously being delisted by by hawthorne and just a touch on that it was um a really good exit with hawthorne the you know, family team and um, completely understood their decision so um, when I transferred, or when I decided to go over to Collingwood VFL, I had familiar faces there. Um, but I was pretty quick to do another knee, unfortunately, um, at the start of, oh, yeah, at the start of that next season. Um, so I was I was completely off footy at, at that stage, and you know, fairly so. I didn't want to play anymore. I was over it, and you know, fuck this. It's just you know, that was sort of my mindset at the time. Um, so to get the tap on the shoulder whilst I'm doing rehab after work um, you know, in my own time in the VFL system so that's that's the, the other thing um, you know, to, to be asked if you want to be the runner you know, what an opportunity so I saw it as part of my rehab um, but also um, an opportunity where hopefully I could develop the passion to play footy again and, and just be amongst it you know being out on an AFL ground seems so distant for so long um, and even if I was on there uh, as a staff member doing a job that's really important, um, I, I absolutely embraced it and the club embraced me and um, I was, I'm still really um, thankful and fortunate that I was able to have that experience as a player at the time. I think I was only 26 or something, so still, still fairly young in the scheme of things. Um, but yeah, you're right, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. I've got to filter down the messages and I'm you know, coming off the bench talking to Scott Pendlebury about structure and game plans and all this sort of stuff. And you know, Pendlebury's a great man as well. And obviously a lot of the Collingwood boys um, took feedback and responded to messages really, really well. So um, it, was a, it was a skill that I had to develop over time where I was um, constantly learning about how to communicate to others and, and how to best give um, directions as well. So, you know, one way I could deliver feedback and directions to one might not work for yeah. another person. So it was a juggling act in that sense. And um, I think it made me a better a better leader, I think, when, it, when I returned to footy and um, made me a better person outside of football as well when it came to, you know, dealing with my clients and, and dealing with people in general. Were you, were you asked by bucks or did the message kind of come from him how, how did they identify you um yeah it was, mate, to be, it was a bit of an unknown um it came from the collingwood vfl gm 
Chris Dixon. Uh, so I, I believe, I can only guess that it was filtered down from Bucks through to, yeah, through to Chris and then and then to me. And then I said yes within half a second, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, did it, I, can, I, I can only think of um, when I was playing in under-19s, I played with my great man, Vaz. Um, but he, he kicked two goals, he, he was on fire and he got asked to rotate and he, he abruptly said, nah. He shook his head, he said, nah, not for me. Um, I think Vaz played about one more game for our team and, and that was it for Vaz. But you, you ever get anyone, you know, you, you know, someone turns it over and they're, they're filthy and you run out and you say something, you just get the fuck. Did anyone, like, you ever get any, any quality serves? Because obviously it's probably easier to yell at, yell at the, the runner than it is to Bucks. Did anyone ever just give you, the, give you a serve on the way um, yeah, it's funny that you say that because I was I was guilty of that as a player as well. You know, just just getting getting the runner roasted, right? Um, but yeah, oh, my experience as a player probably helped me in that sense. So um, if they didn't like the message the first time, I was pretty quick to follow up, saying, "All right, come on, like, this is what we need to do now. Well, you come off." Um, and I think the second time they'd, they'd listen because it's obviously a directive from Bucks. Um, but I was I was having a copper spray, or not that it happened often. Um, We've got some pretty, oh, sorry, Collingwood's got some pretty strong figures there and strong personalities. So I understood which ones might um, respond in a certain way and, and others that might um, respond um, nicely, so to speak. So um, no, it was, like I said, juggling act um, regarding how to speak to people and personalities as well. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the, the, running, the running role definitely gassed me at times as well. I've, I think I remember this this one game in Brisbane. I think I clocked up seventeen and a half k as a runner, just running around, and it was humid. I lost bulk weight that day and bought, bought a weight. But I, was, I looked at me GPS up. I was like, oh my god, seven, and I was sore. Didn't even touch the footy or anything. Just on the gabba too hard. Oh yeah, I was just running around, sweating, humid, and we won the game. It was awesome, but I just want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um. Obviously, yeah, so speaking on your running, probably most runners would be unknown, but you, you kind of rose to prominence in a, in a rather unfortunate manner. I mean, I, I've watched, we've seen this in a thousand times, I don't think there's much you could have done, I don't think it would have mattered if you were there or not. Um, it was an awful skill error. Um, but you, quote unquote, were in the way of Jaden Stevenson, who was trying to chase down a kick that hit Elliot Yo. Ultimately, Elliot Yo bangs a goal in and surprised me to see it by a kick. Yeah. But I mean, the fallout of that, I mean, at the, at the time, because we'll, we'll touch on everything from before to after, but at the time when the crowd's going off and James Evans kind of pointing around and, and you're all thinking, oh, I've just got to get out. Like, what, what's going through the head there? Is that, is that always you're just thinking, I've got to find a pocket here where I can avoid bucks, avoid <laughs> pendles and just and just hide somewhere? Um, yeah, mate, it's... Look, like I touched on before, life throws all these different adversities at you. So, um, in a weird way, you know, I got stronger as a person from that experience, and um, I never shy away from having a chat about it either. I think it's it's good to confront it, and if people ask questions. That's I've got no issues with it. Um, yeah, I'll, to be honest, man, I was just doing my job on that side of the field. I had a message to give, and I thought I was in a position where I could deliver that. Like, well, I guess, um, like I've mentioned before, and probably previous interviews and, and on open mic as well I was you know I thought I was in a pretty safe spot where I didn't think the footy was going to come so uh, and that's what you're, you're taught as a runner you're like get out of the way <laughs> obviously um, 
but yeah, deliver your message and um, yeah, come come straight back. So I had to deliver a message out that side, and I was sort of doing that. Um, and then next minute, I look up and this footy is literally coming straight at me. Um, and we're sort of taught to just run in a direction and just commit to it. So I just started running to the pocket. You know what I mean? So I just chose that direction. Unfortunately, crossed paths with with Jaden, um, and I, I knew that. Regardless of the, the skill or, or whatever people might think, and, and well, I appreciate all the support um, at the time, and that's why I acknowledge it. I put my hand up and say, Look, at the time, I probably, you know, I was still in the way. So, um, got to be better in that way as a runner. And um, sometimes you, you can't avoid these things as well, though. So, um, I still thought I was just doing my job, and um, like to, to the boys' credit, and Bucks in particular. Um, to get around me post game because, or, or like, like you touched on, just less than a less than a goal, the difference so um, dramatically and and instantly I was like, fuck, that's that's on me, you know what I mean? And, and I can't hide. There's a hundred thousand people here, um, and it felt like a hundred thousand pointing the pointing the finger. So um, yeah, it was, it was just raw in the moment, and and Bucks got around me, and the players did as well. So. Um, forever grateful um, and fortunate for that support. Um, probably at the time, we, we were a little bit foreign as a as an AFL community of, of pointing things out, especially on social media. Yeah. Um, really grateful and and happy that it gets pointed out now, particularly you know the racial stuff and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so at the time, I thought I was fighting my own battles a little bit with that, um, but also how intense was was the backlash? Because obviously. I mean, it's it's anarchy, and for oh. and for those for those who do it, if if anyone is listening and does it, don't do it because yeah. it's fucking stupid. Oh, man, so. But I mean, how, how intense was? Because obviously, yeah. you would have got you know the old message from blokes on Swan Street, blind, commiserating a loss, and but what what was you know what, what were the next few days? Because I'm sure you're in still would have been full. And what how full on was yeah, it? Yeah, so you know, off at that time, I was a I was a bloke that had gone through. Four near echoes and obviously touched on witnessing the Burke Street thing and um, oh, oh, I still think like that moment and the backlash after was was really challenging for me. So oh, I had to you know get every bit of my mental strength to to ignore a lot. Um, you know, I was pretty open to speaking to some of them. I'm saying that's not good enough. Um, but also um, I dealt with it in a way that was something that I never really did and basically I shut off to the world for seven days like a week and I just stayed inside and um, turned my social media off and my phone off and I just yeah just needed to absorb it because you know, it's going to take a while to obviously the grand final gets celebrated for, for months afterwards so um, it was important for me to acknowledge I I, I read as well I, I, was, I was reading about it um, face the face the backlash a lot of it was obviously unnecessary and, and crossing the line too far and, and that, they're the ones that probably really challenged me as a person and I just questioned some of them because they didn't know me at all so for them it was the end of the world for me it was um, you know you, you're, you're asking me to, to end my life for, for that moment and it's just uh, just a little bit hard to to make the connection there because they, they actually you know spitting venom and, and genuine hate towards me without really knowing me um, so it was it was challenging, but like I said, it made me a better person, and um, I think it was a really good learning moment. If I were to, you know, show the examples of, of some of the worst stuff, I think um, a lot of those people would probably, hopefully, regret sending that stuff and, and you know be better for it. Yeah, you said you re- you replied to a few. Yeah. 
I mean, I can only like someone who you know writes stuff and he gets put on Facebook. I say comments galore, and I, and it yeah. took me a bit of time to to realise like I don't I don't care. And in fairness, someone someone wrote something the other week and it was actually pretty funny, so I liked it. They got me yeah. they got me a beauty. But you know, replying to them, I mean, what what did you say to some of them? Well, like, it's what, a good leeway, but. Um, you kill them with kindness a little bit, don't you? So, I, I, I was never fighting back because that's what they want. You know, there's keyboard, keyboard warriors and they, they thrive off the backlash, especially in that sort of moment. So, you know, a lot of the response is pretty short and sharp. Um, you know, sorry you feel that way, but, um, you know, I, 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 I can't really change the moment now. So, um, you know, sorry you feel that way, but I, I think that's pretty unnecessary, what you're saying, so... You know, have a moment to think about it um, and you know if you if you want to send another message great but um, I think it's pretty important that they look themselves in the mirror when, when they when they do that sort of stuff yeah 100% um, you said you switched off for seven yeah. days did you I, mean, I couldn't imagine how that would have been did you, did you tell anyone did you let mate, like the club know to say hey heads up I'm out because if you become out of reach for seven days I mean yeah did you get, who, who, who did you have to let know yeah, just so everyone knew you're right in terms of shutting out, I just didn't go outside, literally. Um, but I was still um, happy to speak to the club, a bit of media stuff as well, so they don't um, annoy me later on, so to speak. I'm like, I'll just confront it now, radio, whatever, paper, and it's probably the wrong thing to do, so I probably need to consult with Collingwood first, but I just want to get that out of the way. Um, and then, you know, get on the process of healing again. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big moment, and um, obviously moved on from it now, and... Um, I think it, I don't want to take away um, the fact that it was, a, it was an amazing game. Um, you know, credit to, to West Coast playing a really good brand of footy and credit to uh, Collingwood for, you know, fantastic 2018 season. So um, it was all about me for, for a while and I didn't want that at all. So I, was, I thought it was pretty important for me to, to just stay inside for a bit um, and then deal with it and, um, yeah, slowly introduce myself to the, the outside world again. Letting them know I was alive. <laughs> I think I think you're right. It's an unbelievable game. I think the more the years go on, I think the game's getting recognised more for the game. And I think your moment is dissipating a little bit and bit by bit. No, oh, I like to think most people are at the point where we can just live with it, not not view the game as the moment the runner was unfortunately. Because I think you were right to think that a, a kick from a defensive side, 45 degrees into the middle, might not have been on. I think you were. You're, I think you're in the right spot because. I think, it's, I think it was Brader, mate. I might have kicked. I think if he had his timing and he might just save her 45 to the boundary and keep it safe. But, um, That's pretty though. Yeah. I think it, just to touch on that open mic stuff was probably the first time I was able to tell my side. Yeah. Um, and that was a really good moment for me. Uh, not that I was waiting for a moment, but it was just like, okay, well, now that you're touching it, right, well, here it is. It is all of it. Um, so, like I said, happy to talk about it even in more detail with you mate uh, over this podcast so um, hopefully there's you know, two sides to every story right yeah and hopefully hopefully if you're Collingwood fans who if they are for whatever reason still holding it Greg can listen and just take a breath and, and move on now but um, you mentioned that like obviously there's the footage of you and Bucks post game to as much as you can like, what, what did Bucks say in that moment because he is a very articulate man Nathan and I mean, what, what did he what did he say to you there yeah it's, um, like I was saying about connection like what a moment to sort of embrace me and, and um, you know, get around me. I was uh, in every way blaming myself at that moment. And that's, like I was saying, raw. 
Um, and you can't help but feel that way, really, when the margin's like that. So um, from what I remember, mate, he basically said that was every part um, of the reason why the footy club sort of got to that moment as well. Like, being a runner is a pretty pivotal role when it comes to, um, you know, tight matches and finals and that sort of stuff. So he made sure that I was valued. Um, and obviously in the moment, I probably didn't absorb that. Um, later on, I definitely did and um, was really grateful. But, um, yeah, he just made sure that uh, I wasn't being too harsh on myself. And like I said, I, I was at the time and was for a little, little while after that. But uh, I look back now um, and just think, yeah, what a man to, to sort of get around me like that. Yeah, no, as I mentioned before, and any, any interaction I've had with Bucks has been superb and I oh, hold the man in the highest of regard. Um, moving on to what you're kind of doing now, am I correct in saying you're working a bit with St Kilda, yeah. the AFLW squad with Nicky Dow? I mean, how's, how, how's that? How's obviously another, another different role in footy. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how are you finding it? Good, good, bud. Um, never thought of myself as a coach, to be honest. Um, I was sort of more interested in the welfare space at footy clubs. And that's sort of like a niche role, really. There's only a couple at, a club, um, at each club. And um, a lot of the time, they almost get um, outsourced in, t- in terms of experience. So like teachers or, or psychologists or um, you know, players with a lot more experience and, and um, qualifications. So I was a little bit up against it, but still put my hat in the ring for a couple of jobs like that. Um, wasn't lucky enough to obviously secure one. Um, and then I, I, I was sort of a part of uh, the under-15s um, academy program at the Saints during COVID uh, last year uh, with Steve Walton, who's a great man and, and helped me um, develop as a coach there. He, he, he um, We sort of crossed, crossed paths really early in, in the Dragons program. Um, so he guided me really well. Um, and then lucky enough, I was sort of sort of registered my interest of, of well, wanting to be maybe development coach or, or something like that, hopefully later down the line. Um, it was just uh, luck of the draw that AFLW Saints uh, were looking for an assistant coach. So sort of took a punt and said, why not? Um, and here I am now, mids coach there. And look, we haven't, we haven't had a win yet, but we're a really young side that um, in terms of a journey, uh, we're, we're building each week and... And that's the main thing that we need to sort of focus on the, the journey um, you know, over the next couple of years rather than this one season. Um, but also, you know, we're setting new standards for ourselves. So the challenge for us now is to be a four-quarter team and uh, we really get a good opportunity against West Coast hopefully this week. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really privileged to be a part of the program. I think, I think you're right. You've had a few, there's been a few things go against the, the Saints um, AFLW team this year probably a bit outside of, of your control that has resulted in maybe the goalpost shifting a bit. Um, but I think you can say early on and from what you... I mean, the game against Richmond with the season opener, you guys looked a lot better than I think the scoreboard might have reflected. I think, as you said, there's part of that journey is putting together those little pieces. Um, how have you found working under Nicky Dale? And obviously, he, he's pretty new to the role as well, so it's a pretty new coaching group. I mean, how, how are you guys finding working together? Come with Squid. That's his nickname, Squid. Um... Yeah, he's a he's an intellect, that's for sure, and he understands the game so well. He used to um, he used to run the Saints Academy program, and um, I think they had three drafted um, in this recent draft, which is an amazing effort. And um, his transition into being a coach has been um, really, really good and seamless. And he's got really good support from from Paddy Hill and, and David Carter and Lockie Harris as well, and obviously the the wider support staff um, at the AFLW Saints program too, with with, with Tess leadership there. Um, 
look, uh, I think he, he's definitely going to be a great coach and um, the, the girls have definitely got um, the, the backbone and support base to hopefully generate some really good momentum on this journey, like we were saying. Um, it's, it's really exciting times there. So, um, yeah, I, I connect really well with Dell and um, hopefully we're sort of searching for that first win of the season and um, I'm sure that it's going to be a really good reward for effort um, as the girls have put in a lot of hard work over the pre-season and look they're, they're a great bunch of players and, and um, I'm really lucky to have gotten to know them, know them all and form connections and um, the good thing about the girls is is that they are so eager to learn uh, to a point where they say thank you which is <laughs> which is which is still wild to me um, but yeah I'm, I'm really lucky to be in the position and um, can't wait for uh, what's ahead. You say that they're eager to learn, and we hear that a lot. Obviously, a lot of them won't have played football like you and me have the opportunity to from eight to mid twenties. Um, what are what are some of the things that you have, like the the early things that you have to teach them that maybe you take for granted? Like I can only imagine maybe like technique things in terms of attacking the footy. Or what are some of the things that you've noticed that that in ten years when girls are doing this from eight, nine, ten, where you're going to see the drastic improvement in the quality? It's not that the quality's not there now; it's getting better every year. But obviously, there's just a gap in the in the market, which was completely out of control of the current crop of players. What are some of the things you've noticed that that they that you've taught them that maybe they've just got? Oh my god! Yeah, um, I think uh, you know, with the girls, mate, the the skill levels improve leaps and bounds. Really, um, we're hitting targets and, and taking marks now across all the teams yeah. um, that would arguably be you know very much A four standard. So. Um, in terms of, of things that probably are, are going to be a constant development, it's probably stuff away from the ball. Um, and what I mean by that is, from my perspective as a mids coach, um, the girls are so eager to sort of help each other a lot of the time, which is fantastic, and you can never question their effort and intent. Um, and that's all you want from a coach. But sometimes, you know, one player is enough to pick up that footy rather than four. Um, and then that's just a balance issue, right? So um, stuff like that where we sort of collapse in or girls in general across the league sort of want to all help um, when sometimes being on the outside is probably the better option. Yeah. I think as I think as I said before, I think there's just a, there's a, there was a gap essentially for a lot of these players where they didn't get to hone their skills um, as much as the, as much as the men obviously got to. But I think the league is just, it's moving bounds and leaps. Every, and I think every year we always sit back and say, oh, it's gotten better. Yeah. And then we say it again and again. Yeah, you're 100% right, mate. So uh, I think the other thing is these girls don't take anything for granted, really. Um, they know that they're um, on a pedestal, so to speak, to, to a lot of these grassroots coming through, um, and they absolutely embrace that, which is fantastic. Um, and that's the only way we're really going to grow the game from, from juniors upwards, um, and that's you know how we're going to get better as a league as well. So um, I admire the girls so much. Look, um, a lot of them come straight from work into training. You know what I mean? It's not a full-time job. Um, and it's it's pretty hard yakka so um, can't question their effort like I said and um, it's pretty admirable the way they go about it yeah no I think as I said hopefully there's a win around the corner for the Saints I think this weekend I think I've tipped them I think they're I think it's there for you guys fingers crossed mate that's that's all all we have for you it's been unbelievable to finally sit down and have a chat thanks so much for coming on mate and best of luck for the Saints this weekend no worries bud thanks for having me it was an absolute pleasure